obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path to follow your word. I have not turned from your judgments, for you yourself have instructed me. How sweet your word is to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Let's pray. Fathers, we have gathered here today. Father, we focus on you and your heart, but the way we engage with you so much is your, is your word. And fathers, we look into your word together today. Draw our hearts closer to yours. Help us understand not only what you're saying in your word, but the reason we need to be in your word. And Father, help our focus to be on you and on your word and your will for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now before we get into our points today, I want to kind of give you a little background about Psalm 119. Now some of you probably know, there's probably one thing unique about Psalm 119 that most of you know already. Does anybody, anybody want to make a guess at what that is? What's unique about Psalm 119? It's a psalm, okay? What? It's the longest, the longest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 119. I think it's 176 verses, something like that. So it's very long. So that's, we all know that. Um, two chapters before, Psalm 117 is the shortest chapter in the Bible. Psalm 119 is the longest. So we all know that, but, but there's two other things I want you to know about it. First, if you've read it in your Bible, you notice it's got like some subdivisions there with some really weird words in it, like Aleph and Beth and mem and things like that in fact the passage you read today started with a little subheading mem how many of you had saw that in your bible somewhere that thing mem all right here's the reason it says that those are letters of the hebrew alphabet there's 22 letters in the hebrew alphabet and this psalm written in hebrew is an acrostic psalm there's 22 subsections and each of those subsections each one starts with in order a letter out of the alphabet so it'd be like writing a poem and you're saying Always will I love you because you are the best. Uh, clearly you are the, you know, that kind of thing. So it's, you know, it's ABC. So it's that kind of thing. When you see it, it's just a way of dividing it up. Because we were reminded that the Psalms were really Hebrew songs. And they're, they're Hebrew poetry. And so this is an acrostic poem. But the main thing I want you to know about the Psalm, Psalm 119 is that it's really a love song to God's word. The whole chapter is all about God's word and how good it is for us and how it helps us. Now, we don't have time to go through all 176 verses in Psalm 118, so that's why we're just looking at, at 8 or 9 today. So this is what I want you to see. It's a love song to the Bible, and that makes it very easy to get into our very first point, which is the Bible is worthy of our love. We don't realize that. We may feel like it's just a book that we read. You know, it's, some people feel like it's like reading the Fresno Bee for those of you who are my age and older that actually remember newspapers, that kind of thing, or it's like reading, you know, anything else. No, it's very different. And it's a book that's truly worthy of our love. So let's see what the psalm says, psalmist says about it. He says, right at the start, he says, he loves God's law. That's the very first thing there. He says, how I love your instruction. Now, let's take a moment again to talk about what is he talking about when he talks about God's word here at this point. When he talks about God's law. The law basically referred to the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And at the time this psalm was written, that was pretty much what they had for the Bible. Now, 
Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Kings, uh, or First Kings at least. Uh, maybe some of First Chronicles are already written. Job had already been written, but they'd not been gathered into the Bible form at that point. But they were considered that. So the law sometimes refers just those first five verse, uh, first five books of the Bible, but it's also sometimes, and Jesus used it to refer to just the whole idea of what God said in God's word. So even though the psalmist was writing this for part of the Old Testament, the principles that we can follow that Jesus gave us says we can apply this to the entire Bible. So the psalmist meant those first things. And again, he's talking about Leviticus. Now, if you're reading in our, in our scripture reading together, we've been in Genesis. And there's some funky stuff in Genesis, right? Has anybody run across any weird stuff in Genesis already? I mean, listen, if we ever think our church is messed up, just look at some of those people. They, I mean, we, we look pretty good compared to some of those guys. But when you get into Leviticus, it gets tedious a little bit. You're gonna, it's just a little bit of a slog because it's all sorts of things about ritual cleansings and things like that. Yet the psalmist is saying even those things that seem so tedious to us, those are things I love. Those are things that instruct me. Those are things that help me. So even for the psalmist, he's saying those tough things about what you're requiring of us, those are things I still love because they're helping me. They're instructing me. And so uh, the psalmist loved it so much that he would meditate on it day, all the day. And then in verse 103, he says this. He compares it to honey. He says, your word is like honey in my mouth and to my taste. It's sweeter than Your word is sweet to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. Now, for most of us, when we think of something sweet, honey is probably not what we think of first. Okay, when I think of something sweet, little Debbie snack cakes, the zebra cakes. Man, that's, yeah, like, I know, that's, that's the one I go to, man. It's, it's, I have to stay away. I can't even go down the aisle where they're sold, all right? I just have to avoid it. Um, fortunately, on my, on my, at my grocery store, it's sold on the same aisle as, with liquor, so I never go down that aisle, all right? So I'll avoid alcohol and little Debbie snack cakes, then, then I'll be okay, all right? But we don't think of honey, but back in that day, they really did think of honey because they didn't have refined sugar like we have today. So honey was the quickest way to get sugar into your body. In fact, you remember, remember the story of Samson? He kills a lion, and then a little bit later, he walks back, and a, and a, and a uh, bees have put a hive in the, in the lion. So Samson goes to the dead lion and reaches in with a group of bees there to pull out honey because he wanted it so badly. I mean, that's, you got to like something a lot to be able to pull it out of a carcass of a dead lion, right? But he said that's what he really loved. But my favorite passage about honey is this. It's in, it's in 1 Samuel 14, 27. It talks about Jonathan, the son of King Saul. It says, Jonathan put out the end of his staff that was in his hand, and dipped it in the honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth and his eyes brightened. In other words, honey was so important for getting sugar into the, into the, into the body of a warrior that it made his eyes brighten up. And you can all think of that, that you, there's food that you taste that you just like, oh yeah, that's good, all right? All right, now give, I'll give you just a moment to think about it, then we're going to have to move on past it, all right? Okay, so for me, the, but we all have certain foods that we just like it. Well, that's, as you think about that, When's the last time you read God's word and it got into it and you read it in your face, your eyes brightened because of it? Think about it. If we're engaging God's word the way the psalmist did, it ought to be the kind of thing that when we read it, not every time, not, I know that's not going to happen every time, but it ought to happen a lot more than it does. I mean, it's happened for me a few times, but I'll mention, I'll tell you honestly, it's been a few times, rare and far between, that I've read something and just it actually changed the expression on my face 
but it does happen occasionally. And that's what I want you to go for as you're reading through your Bible this year. Whether you go through reading the whole Bible as a part of our plan or whether you just try to engage with it every day, look for something that says where God can speak to your heart through it and it makes your eyes brighten. In fact, if it does, I want to give you this challenge. In our church body, if that happens, text it to somebody in our church, share with them. All right? And yes, they may think you're weird, all right? Because most of us here are a little weird, all right? So just don't, where you're just confirming what people already know. But I want to encourage you that share with it when something in God's Word makes your eyes brighten, makes your heart lift up, whatever it might be. <clears throat> so now I want to ask you this though Has God ever revealed Himself to you through His Word in such a way that you were visibly moved? Have you ever desired God's Word more than you've desired your favorite food? Let's put it this way. Do you crave God's word more than your sweet tooth craves chocolate? I want you to ask, no, I want you to think about that seriously. Do I crave God's word? Are there times that I feel like I've got to sit down and read his word? Or is it more often, well, I guess I need to read God's word. I need to get that done. I need to check that off my to-do list. <clears throat> the psalmist said he loved God's word that much. <clears throat> Sorry about that. That, it, that he craved it, just like we would crave something sweet. God's word is worthy of our love and our desiring of it. Now, that's the kind of love we need to make sense of the rest of the points of this message. Because the second thing it says in here is that the Bible can make you wise. If you love it enough, if you're following enough, the Bible can make you wise. And we find this in verses 99, 100, and 101. In those verses, he's got three different images he uses for how the Bible can make you wise. Three different ways to look at it. The first one, the psalmist says, he found wisdom from the word to defeat his enemies. That's in, in verse 98. So he says, your word, let me read it here, make sure I get it right. Your command makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is always with me. Now, when we think of the Psalms, we think mainly of King David. King David wrote a lot of the Psalms. Some of them he had, he commissioned to be written by other people. So they were written by some of the, the music leaders in his court and that kind of thing. But we basically, the psalmist focus around David. And David was a warrior king. He had enemies everywhere. He had political enemies, religious enemies, military enemies. He even had enemies in his own family. Some, some of you may be able to relate to that. And if David wasn't wiser than his enemies, he would lose his kingdom and lose his life and he he attributes his success over his enemies to god's commands that were found in his word now you may not have enemies like like david did okay you may not really feel like there's somebody out there to get me but you know what as followers of christ we do have enemies out there there are enemies and spiritual enemies that that, that really are trying to attack us now i'm not trying to do this hunker in the bunker everybody who's in that political party that you're not a part of whichever one it may be they're not all satanists and they're trying to you know destroy everything i'm not trying to say that but there is a real spiritual battle going on a battle for your heart every day a battle for your mind a battle for for what is right in this world and those things are our enemies and if we're not set solidly in god's word every day we will not have the strength we will not have the wisdom that we need to be wiser than our enemies. 
And so that's what that's a particularly big one for, for King David would have been making me wiser than my enemies. Now the next one is going to, some of you in this room are going to be identified with because if you're a student, you may feel this, this is, a, this is a chapter, a verse that every student ought to learn. It's verse 99. It says, I have insight than all, more insight than all my teachers because your decrees are my meditation. Now I subbed a couple of days this week and I can tell you, I had several students that thought they were smarter than me. All right? They probably weren't. But King David said, when I study your word, I'm smarter than all my teachers. And what he's saying there is that by, by, by focusing on his word, he's going to be able to know the wise things he needs that are beyond this world's knowledge to be able to survive. You know, I, I was a cocky kid growing up. I'll admit, in high school, I did think I was smarter than a lot of my teachers. You know what? Uh, maybe, maybe there were some I was smarter than. Probably most of us didn't care whether I thought I was smarter than them or not. Just leave a little under that illusion if you want to. But as opposed to my youthful cockiness, the psalmist was wiser, was wiser than, his, than his teachers because he meditated on God's decrees. And decrees is a poetic synonym. Remember, this is poetry. So synonym there, the synonym decree is just for God's commands. So he says, because I look at God's commands, what he's telling me to do, because I meditate on them, I am going to be wiser than my teachers. Now, meditation is another word that we don't think about very often because we, when we think about meditation, you usually think of somebody sitting in the lotus position, which I've never been able to get to, and doing this, you know, um, um, kind of, that's not what meditation is about. Meditation at this point is thinking deeply about something. So when is the last time you read something in God's Word and you actually sat down and thought deeply about it? I know it's hard, and this is what I encourage you to do. If you want God's Word to make you wise, we need to actually sit down and meditate with it and think about it for a little bit. Because most of us just don't get it right away. It's something very deep, and sometimes you just got to sit with it for a little bit. That's a wise thing to do in a lot of areas. Whenever I get a critical email, and I get, pastors get them all the time, uh, employees get them all the time. Uh, I sometimes will get them from extended family members with some things. And so sometimes, in fact, I have one that I got about a week and a half ago that I've been sitting with and meditating on for a little bit before I figure a wise response to it. So, um, and that's okay. You know, we all face that. But, but God's word is deeper than that. And so sometimes you just got to sit with it and say, God, help me understand what you meant here. And it's amazing how your perception on things can change. Again, I'm 66 years old. I've been a Christian for 60 years. I don't know how many times I've read through God's Word. I'd say probably 35, maybe, something like that. Uh, maybe more. And yet, there's still times I'm sitting there and reading God's Word and all of a sudden go like, oh my gosh, I never caught that before. And the reason I haven't gotten it before uh, could be because I just wasn't mature enough as a believer but it may also be because I didn't sit down with it enough and just let it soak, or better yet, let me soak in it, all right? That's a, so maybe we can get another image here, okay? We had the image of Jesus going and getting the key shop a couple of weeks ago, all right? And so now we have, how about God's word is like a hot tub? Sometimes you got to soak in it to get the, to get, oh, Jeremy, don't laugh, don't laugh at the silly ones, okay? Come on, man, all right? But think of it like that. In certain ways, God's word is like a hot tub. You got to just got to soak in it for a little bit for really to get the benefit out of it. So try to think about that, that 
If you want to be wiser than your teachers, so can God's word. By the way, this idea of being smarter than my teachers was a very powerful image in Jewish thought because teachers were well-respected. I mean, you were nice to a teacher. You did not treat teachers the way students do today. So it was especially a bold statement for a Jewish person to say, I'm smarter than my teachers. And the third comparison he gives us is even more bold. He says, God's word gave him more understanding than the elderly. Now, the Jewish culture at that time was all like the culture that I grew up in in the South. I grew up in a time where you, you know what, I would never call anybody older than me by their first name. In fact, I grew up, now, I'm not saying we need to change it. This is California. Our culture is a little bit different. But when I grew up, my pastor to all the adults was Brother Doug. But to all the teenagers, it was Brother Reddick, his last name. We would never have called him by his first name in any way, shape, or form. And my, my parents' friends were always Mr. or Miss or, or Ms. Which the South was way ahead of the rest of the country in that. We used Ms. long before anybody else did. Um, so the one exception to that would be if you had a good close, like especially if it was a, a single woman that was a close friend of the family, then it might be Miss first name, okay? So it might be like Miss Jackie, you know, and that would be the way you would do it, but you had to say it that way. But, but always that way. We always respected our elders. Well, it was even more so the case in Jewish culture. And so when the psalmist says, I am wiser, have more understanding than the elderly, he was saying something very powerful about God's word, saying that if I study God's word, it's going to give me more insight, more wisdom than pe older people who don't. And he uses the word here, the word he uses there for God's word is precepts. Precepts is another word we don't use very often. Okay, precept is similar to the idea of a concept. Okay, it's the underlying principle behind something. For example, when you were a kid, your parents probably told you, don't hit your brother or sister. But the underlying principle behind that, the precept behind it was, we are family and we're always nice to family. That's the idea. Okay, so there's always principles and precepts behind that. And so the psalmist is saying, by following God's precepts, by meditating on what he says, by doing, ordering my life according to what he says is right, my life is going to be wiser. Now, I think the best-known example, or the best example I can think of that today is actually not a person, but it's a company. It's a company called Chick-fil-A. Okay? Let's be honest. Aren't those the best chicken sandwiches? I mean, oh, my gosh. All right? I just, for, for, for liberals that, that, that hate Chick-fil-A, I, I, I know that every time they pass it, it's, it's a crisis of faith. I want that sandwich, but I don't want to support that company. All right? And I know what, what that's like. But here's what happened. With Chick-fil-A, you know that they are notorious, that they're not open on Sunday. And I'll admit, I've done it before when I traveled a lot, and I'd be traveling back from preaching in a church in San Diego, and I'd stop and I'd pull up into Chick-fil-A, and they go, like, oh, that's right, it's Sunday. I, I can't, because when you're a pastor, Sunday's still a work day. But in fact, you may, know, may have known that Chick-fil-A's been in the news the last couple of months, because in the state of New York, they're trying to pass a law that says all restaurants that are at government-owned property, which is on all the turnpikes, there that that they have to be open on sunday and they're trying to force chick-fil-a to be open on sunday and chick-fil-a's basically said no it's not going to happen there have been times they could not get leases in malls because the mall's rule said you have to be open on sunday and they said thanks we'll, we'll open one outside the mall then all right that's what you want to have happen but now chick-fil-a has been actually praised by this by the magazine business insider a while back it wrote an article on chick-fil-a 
And it said, while the his, I'm quoting from it, from Business Insider Magazine, while the decision to close on Sunday is driven by religious values, analysts say that it's also a brilliant business decision. Closing on Sunday gives employees a chance to recharge, and it creates a sense of community with them, and it creates a sense of scarcity among their customers. Better get my Chick-fil-A today because I can't get it tomorrow kind of thing, all right? But Chick-fil-A does not pretend that its reason for closing is based on just what's good for employees. Truett Cathy, uh, Baptist deacon, Sunday school teacher, said this, said, when my brother Ben and I opened our first restaurant on the first Sunday after we opened in 1946, we closed it. We closed on Sunday, that very first Sunday. And my children have committed to closing our restaurants on Sundays long after I'm gone. I believe God honors our decision and sets before us unexpected opportunities to do greater work for him because of our loyalty. Now, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and say that if you follow God's word, you're always going to be successful in business. God never promises that. But he does, does promise to bless us in certain ways and to make us wise and to help us when we follow God's law. And it's not because God's just it's this pernicious God that says, okay, I'm going to create all these rules, and if you follow these rules, everything's going to be okay. I believe when God wrote these rules in the Bible, and he wrote these, these principles, these precepts, these decrees and commands, he was sitting there going, what is best for my creation? What is going to be best for them? Let's take what's best. Let's put it down in writing for them. So they'll be able to follow what's best for me. They won't have to be guessing. And so... God doesn't bless us when we follow his rules because that pleases God. He blesses us when we follow his rules because the rules he wrote are what's best for us because God cares for us. And so that's why it makes us wise because these are what's best from us from the person who created us, the person who knows us the best. And who knows us better than our creator? No one. No one. That's where you want to go and get to know the creator. Like I say, if, if I have something wrong with my printer, I'm not going down to 7-Eleven and asking them to help me fix it. You know what? I'm going to look at the manual written by the creator of that printer to know how to work it better. If you're having trouble with your life, you go to the manual written by the creator to know how to run it better. And the Bible is full of good guiding principles that make our lives wise. It's easy to start with Proverbs. Proverbs is a great place to start. I think immediately of Proverbs 6, verses 10 and 11. It says this, A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond, and your need like an armed man. That's true whether you're a follower of God or not. If you're going to be lazy, you don't get stuff done, you're going to be poor. That's basically what it's saying there. It's a simple principle to follow. There are many others in Proverbs, but let's skip to the New Testament. Look at Matthew 7, 12. You all know this one. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. Jesus said basically the whole, the whole Old Testament, the law, those first five books of the Bible, and the prophets, all that came after them, it all could be summed down in, up in this. Treat people the way you want to be treated. The golden rule. That's a simple way. That's what we expect out of people, basically. Well, we used to until maybe the last decade or so. We used to expect that out of people. Or James 1.19. Think about the wisdom of this command. But everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Oh, my gosh. You know what? 
I may not care what the rest of their platform is, but if I found a candidate for, for president next year that, that I felt followed that, I think I'd be forced to vote for him. Okay? That just makes so much sense. Our world would go so much better if our leaders learned that kind of thing. And there's so many more principles in the Bible. We don't have time to cover them all right now because we've got to move on. So let's just go to our next point. With wisdom from God's word, you'll be able um, to use the Bible as a true and faithful guide. And so the third principle is the Bible can guide you. The Bible can be your true and faithful guide. Let's look at verse 101. He says, I have kept my feet from every evil path. The idea here is that following God's directives in the Bible will give you discipline to avoid evil and bad choices. In other words, you don't know what's the right choice here. By knowing God's word, you'll know which one is the right choice. It keeps you from, it keeps you from making bad decisions. Verse 102 says, I have not turned from your judgments. This is about avoid, the strength to avoid temptations. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by Satan, do you know how he responded to Satan each of the three times? By quoting scripture. The book of Deuteronomy, which probably a lot of you are unfamiliar with, but that's what Jesus had that memorized so that he could respond to the temptations of Satan with scripture. And so by knowing God's word, it keeps us from turning aside to distractions that will mess us up. Guys, I don't know about you, but man, my world is full of distractions. There's so many things that can distract me all the time. And being maybe a little bit ADD here, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of easy that I'll read something and I'll, I'll think in all this way and that way. But by focusing on God's word, we won't make bad choices to turn off the path that God has laid out for us. Verse 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light on my path. The image here is the Bible gives us light to keep us from stumbling or wandering off the path. It gives you wisdom to discern poor decisions and make wise choices. Now that's a tough one for us because we don't think about darkness all that often. I mean, it doesn't truly get dark in Fresno. My neighborhood, I've got street lamps. Okay, they shine. You know, in fact, when they'll talk about like, oh, there's the, you know, the Perseid meteor showers coming. I was like, I'm not going to be able to see it in Fresno. you got to drive out like over the hills to get it. There's so much light in the valley everywhere. We don't get to see very much at all. So we're not used to what it's like for it really to be dark. But they knew back then, because when it got dark, there was very little light. Very little light. And so they knew what it was like to really walk in darkness, to stumble over something to really know what it's like not to have a true guide. And so whenever you could find a path that was lit, you knew it was safe. You knew you'd keep from stumbling. The psalmist said it was a light for his path because everyone knew how beneficial it meant that God's word was. Now, God's word won't lay out for you every little detail of your life. You won't find a verse that says to our pastor search team, choose Reverend so-and-so as your new pastor. We've looked. It's not there, okay? All right? There's just not, you won't find it in there. You won't find God's word saying, okay, should you take this job at this company or this company? It won't give you that kind of thing. It's not one of those magic things. It's not a magic eight ball where you just kind of can open the Bible and point to whatever you want. I've, I've used this illustration before, but I, but I love it about the guy that was looking for God's will. He opened it up the Bible and pointed, and it said Judas hanged himself. You know, yeah, that's not a good way to look at it. Closed it, opened it again, it said, go down and do likewise. All right? You just got to be careful with that kind of thing. You can't, 
you know, it's not that kind of thing. It's not a magic eight ball. But it does give us principles to follow. It helps us to find the principles and precepts to make decisions. You'll find role models to help you determine what kind of the person God wants you to be. You know, a couple of decades or so ago, it was popular to wear the bracelets that had those four letters on it. You remember them? WWJD, what would Jesus do? Or if you were single, who would Jesus date? Okay, either one of those could be, all right? So, um, you know what? You want to know what Jesus would do? You find it right here in God's Word. You don't need a bracelet to remind you. You've got it right here. And what would Jesus do? This book gives us the stories of what Jesus did. It also gives us the principles that Jesus lived his life by when he was on earth. That's what this is all about. You want to know what Jesus would do? It's right in the Bible. Let me give you some verses again that give you some ideas of, of how to help guide you. All right? For example, are you worried about things? Okay? Are you worried? All right. All right. I'll tell you. Tomorrow... I have to go in for a dental appointment at 8 o'clock in the morning to get a crown. So thank you, Hunter, for singing Crown Him with Many Crowns, okay? My anxiety level, just singing that. I have to thank our deacon, Red, for, for pointing that out to me. So when he sang it, thank you, Red. I appreciate that. So, uh, no, I have a lot of anxiety about that because I have a little claustrophobia. Well, I have a lot of claustrophobia, okay? I've been collecting it for years. And so I'm nervous even talking about it. I'm like, okay. So one of the verses I'm going to be quoting many times tomorrow, Psalm 40, uh, 94, 19. When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. And I'm going to be reminding myself of that, okay? To be able to, to, to deal with that. Because I, we know phobias are silly. There's no reason to be scared of the dentist. But there's this part of me when I'm laying down in that chair, it's just hard to go like, Okay, it's all right. You can get up at any point. You can breathe. You can swallow. You can do things. You know, I can put a stop to this anytime I want to, but whew, it just gets to me. So I'm going to rely on God's Word to help me get through that. Are you struggling with wasting too much free time at home? Are you distracted by useless or maybe even harmful online entertainment? Nowadays, that's a big danger. Okay? And I'm not just talking about pornography. That's, that's one thing it could be. But it could be just... Spending too much time on Facebook or TikTok and looking at the wonderful, beautiful lifestyles of the people who have time to put things online. All right? How about Psalm 101, verses 2 and 3, which says, I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. I will have integrity inside my house. And verse, verse 3 says, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. So maybe next time you're looking at your phone or your tablet, ask yourself, is this something worthless that I'm setting before my eyes? Remember God's word to give you wisdom. And then finally, we get to our last point. None of this applies unless you take time to dig into the Bible and learn it. The last principle is you must study God's word for it to help you. And I want you to look at these, some of the words the psalmist used. He talks about meditating on it, it being instruction obeying his word following his word in other words you must not only read god's word but you need to study it like we talked about to, to dwell in it to live in it to breathe it in and out i know it's work because we talked about last week it's only the things that are work that you learn things a class that's too easy you're not going to learn anything in it 
If you just focus on the parts of God's word that are easy for you, you're not going to learn from it. But when we dig deep and when we study, it's when we discover new things about God's word to help us grow and help us transform. And by the way, the more mature you become as a Christian, the harder you have to work at finding it. The digger you have to deep, the, the, the deeper you have to dig. I am stumbling over our words today, all right? The deeper you have to dig, the more mature you are as a Christian. So you think understanding God's word is going to be easier as you grow as a Christian? No, it's going to get harder. And you're going to start learning more things that you don't want to learn. Oh, back in vacation Bible school as a first grader, second grader, I learned all the easy stuff. Now the hard stuff is God continues to shape me into the man he wants me to be. As he conforms me to the image of his son, Jesus. You've got to get into it. I don't want you to be like the family that uh, the little girl and the little girl in the family was noticing on the coffee table. There was this big book that was always sitting there on the coffee table. Now, some of you may not have have that in your house now, but I grew up in a house where there was a coffee table in the living room that nobody ever went into, uh, except when we had company. And on that coffee table was this big book. And the little girl asked her mom, said, "Mom, what is this big book here on the on the coffee table?" And her mom said, "Well, that's God's book." And the daughter says, well, maybe we should give it back to him because none of us ever read it. Not going to do you any good if it's that kind of thing. A Bible on the coffee table doesn't help. But a Bible in your heart, as we're going to talk about next week, will help you to study God's word and pay attention to it. Church, this is why I've written to you in the newsletter several times about listening to the Bible, reading and, memor and memorizing it. And next week, we'll look at the, the, the necessity or the importance of memorizing God's word. But however you engage in God's word, you have to engage it to get something out of it. That's what I want to say. It's not just something you say to do because that's what we ought to do as Christians. It's something I want you to do because it is what's best for you. I want you to be a church that's wise. I want you to be a church that makes good decisions, that has guides. I want you to be a church that, has, that learns to love God's word. And I want you to be a church that can dig deep and spend time in God's word to learn from it. So here's what I want to encourage you to do today in response to this message. First, you just need to accept that God has given us the Bible as a lamp for our feet and a light on our paths. You need to accept that. Just, just accept. Now, I could give you all sorts of things about why the Bible is trustworthy. I mean, it, it's not really a sermon type stuff, but if you have doubts about the authenticity of the Bible, Come talk to me later about it. Because you'll hear things like, there's over 10,000 errors in the Bible. You know what? Yeah, if you look, like, they found this one manuscript that says, instead of saying a man came to Jesus, it says a certain man came to Jesus. Like, see, there's an error right there. It's obviously, as a scribe, copying it made a transcription error. That happens sometimes. You know, or you'll, but I want you to know this, the Bible has been the most examined book in all of history. We have more copies of the Bible that were written within the first two centuries of its, of its actual creation than we do of any other document in the world. Like, have you ever had anybody, ever had anybody say, well, you should, really shouldn't read Homer's Odyssey, the Iliad and the Odyssey, because we're not really sure if that's what he wrote or not. No, you never hear that. And we don't know if that's what he wrote or not. The earliest manuscript we have of the Iliad was written over five, is, was, was put, copied down over 500 years after Homer lived. 
In other words, we don't have anything that's more recent than 500 years after he wrote it. But our, our pieces of the Bible, some of them are just a few, de- the scraps that we have and the books that we find, some are just a few decades, less than a century, after Jesus spoke those words. It's been studied over and over again, over and over again. And there is no book that's more attested to the authenticity. And we know that when Jesus lived, we do know from not only from the Bible, but from extra biblical sources, there was a man, Jesus, who lived in Palestine around this time. And we know that his ministry changed the lives of some people that changed the course of the world. The Bible is trustworthy. We need to accept that God gave it as a lamp for our feet and a light on our path. It may not address every question you have, but it will provide guidance for wisdom and it will help you approach your problems the way Jesus would. Second thing, commit to engaging God's word every day. Now, whether you're going through the reading plan or not, or whether you're meditating on it, memorizing it, or sharing it, whatever it is, and I do want to encourage you to talk with each other about God's word. But the point is, every day to engage in God's Word in some way. So commit to making some way of engaging in God's Word. That may even mean that if you're getting ready for bed and you're just exhausted, I haven't read my Bible today, open it up and read at least a paragraph. Or read something until God speaks to you out of it. But just making that plan to engage with Him regularly. Third, pay attention to God's Word and obey it. Man, there's a lot of things there's a lot of things in there that, that we don't really pay attention to yet. And we need to start focusing in and say, God, show us something new out of your word. You know, Mark Twain said at one point, now he was being critical of the Bible and Christians when he said this, but I think we can, we can uh, take what he said and apply it in a different way. When somebody said to, to Mark Twain, he says, I hear people said, aren't, aren't you concerned about the parts of the Bible you don't understand? He goes, no, I'm way more concerned about the parts of the Bible I do understand. So whatever it is you do understand from the Bible, start obeying it and following it and living it. And finally, I want to say this as always. I want you to trust in Jesus as the fulfillment of God's word. And this is our, my, really a, an extra sort of point at the end, but it's, it's our wrap-up. Okay, We have an advantage that the psalmist didn't have. This, this is that we get to interpret the Bible through the lens of the New Testament and through the life and sacrifice of Jesus. The Bible can't save us. Only Jesus can. The Bible can't save us, but it points us to the one who can. But what's the relationship between Jesus and the Bible? Well, there's two things I want you to, want you to know with this. First, it is through the Bible that we get our truest picture of Jesus. And it's through Jesus we get our truest picture of God the Father. Okay, so the Bible is the one. In fact, Jesus even said this in John chapter 5. He says, talk to the Pharisees, he said, you search the scriptures trying to disprove me, but it's the scriptures that point to me. Jesus said, these scriptures testify about me. Jesus is all through the Bible, even the Old Testament. And second, John chapter 1 tells us that God's word became flesh in the form of Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean the Bible became Jesus. It's a different meaning of the, word, of the phrase God's word here. But God's word refers to the Bible, but God's word also refers to the embodiment of God 
in the person Jesus. The Bible is God's written word, which points us to God's ultimate word, his ultimate expression of his love, Jesus. Jesus, who is God himself, who gave his life for us on the cross. And if no other reason than this for reading the Bible is because if you are a believer, you're a personal friend of the author, Jesus. And if you're not a believer, that's the best way to get to know the one, the only one, who can save your soul, redeem your life, and bring you into a relationship with the God who loves you and sacrificed himself for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for the testimony over and over of the ministry of Jesus, of the work of your, of your spirit and the lives of your people over and over again. And Father, as we focus the rest of this month on your word, I pray, Father, a couple of things for our congregation. One, I pray that you will give us daily reminders. Bring to our minds daily the need to be in your word. Give us also, Father, an expectation that we'll be in your word. Give us an expectation to learn from your word and discover what new things you have for us. And Father, finally, I pray that you will help us see Jesus in every page, in every verse, and you will help us learn to be more like him in every way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.